welcome to episode 20 of The Playground Project with me, your host, Tanya Pomerantz. And I can't help but but just say, woohoo, 20 episodes. You and I have been doing this since March 8th, and I'm just really happy. So thank you so much for sharing this journey with me. I'm so glad you're here on the playground for these awesome chats with incredible mystery guests. Before I introduce you to my wonderful guest today, I wanted to invite you to follow me on Instagram at PuddleJumpCoaching001. And now, I am just so excited to introduce you to a friend of mine, a fabulous person who I was lucky enough to work with at OCISO, Zane Aboud. Welcome, Zane. It is so wonderful to have you on the playground with us today. I am excited to have our chat. So before we get into anything, I'm just going to read your about section on LinkedIn so that people can kind of get a, uh, a feel for what you're all about. And, uh, and then we're just going to jump in and chat. Um, so this is Zane Aboud experienced and dedicated community worker with a demonstrated history of working in the research, community, and settlement industries, skilled in crisis intervention, program development, administration, youth diversion, and mental health support, able to provide holistic strength-based approaches when working with clients and staff. And right now, you are an employment counselor at OCISO in the Youth Employment Foundations program. Am I right? Yes, correct. Thank you, Tanya. <laughs> so thank you so much for being here. And I'm just going to kind of get right into what we talk about here. We start at high school. What was high school like for you? High school was uh, honestly a lot of fun. First of all, I want to say thank you for having me on the podcast. Always excited to talk to you. And then just to continue what I was uh, mentioning, uh, was super fun, to be honest with you, uh, maybe not so much in terms of education. You know, I find most education systems have a, they don't have an individualized approach to working with different learning styles, but I was very lucky to have, to have had access to the internet when I was in high school. So I was able to seek out different information that weren't necessarily available in schools, but it was a lot of fun, to be honest with you. I was skateboarding, I was making music, yeah, a lot of fun, not so much uh, <laughs> on the educational side, but yeah, definitely these two things were very foundational. I still play music. I still skateboard whenever possible. Definitely not as much as before, just because like you, at this point, you know, nobody's paying for my medical expenses if I get hurt. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. And so where did you grow up? So I grew up in uh, Lebanon, Beirut. I went to... Uh, a school and the Beirut region all my life up until graduation. And then I started university in Beirut too. And that's when I uh, uh, left the Ottawa after I graduated. After you graduated from university? Yeah, I was planning it uh, beginning of my second year in university because it takes time. But I basically mm -hmm. went through all the universities in Canada. I had a huge like uh, Google document with like tuition fees, how much they would cost, areas, uh, available majors. Yeah, it was a lot of work. <laughs> but I mean, it's a big move. It's uh, you're moving across the ocean. And I didn't have anybody in uh, Canada to kind of 
guide me. I didn't have family or friends here. So I had to really do my research before I did any major steps. Well, you did a lot of research. I can only imagine the size of your Google document, for goodness sake. (laughs) Was it scary? It was very exciting at first, to be honest with you. It was only scary when I made it here to Canada. Uh, It was on August 13, like 1 a.m., and I landed in Montreal, and I had to take the Greyhound to Ottawa. The entire time, I can't see anything around me. It's like so dark. I'm, I have no idea where I'm at, why, where I'm in. I'm like, you know, if somebody stops you right now and like they take you out of the bus, that's it. <laughs> I'm still thinking like checkpoints from back home. But it was uh, that was the only scary part, I think, just bad timing. <laughs> wow! And so you said check checkpoints from back home. The listener may not know what you're talking about, about these checkpoints, yeah. because maybe they're coming at things from a very different perspective. So please share with us what that's all about. Yeah, definitely. I'll give some context. So Lebanon uh, had a civil war uh, during the 70s. So post-civil war, there was, uh, and still is, a lot of checkpoints in different areas in the country. The country is, you know, everybody lives together, but there, there is a lot of remnants from the civil war. So like some areas are still exclusively like a certain sect from a religion. So in that sense, you know, there hasn't been a full recovery. So to enter a lot of these areas, you do have to go through army checkpoints. Um, sometimes they're police officers if you're in downtown. Sometimes they're from certain political parties if it's an area that is exclusively one sect. You know, I mean, depending on uh, how you present yourself, how uh, you approach these situations, it's not always going to be great. You know, it's a very confrontational. People don't know you. They don't know why you're going to a certain area. Especially they feel that only this sect and people of this specific faith can be in this neighborhood or this district. So you find yourself having to justify a lot of things uh, throughout your week. Yeah, and you know when I say like I'm thinking in uh, on that greyhound if we get stopped and somebody can <laughs> just take you out and you know that's it for you. It's very similar to what could go wrong with those checkpoints that are run by political groups. So yeah, that to give some context. <laughs> I'm just picturing you, a young fella coming in here, total darkness, and you know your frame of reference are these checkpoints. Yeah. I'm like, we're going to get in trouble. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so when you're stopped at one of these checkpoints, are you allowed to do the thing that you want to do? Or are sometimes people saying, no, you're not coming in? It really depends. Uh, if uh, Let's say it's tense politically. You know, some people will, will tell you just like to turn back, go back exactly where you came from, uh, not to go into this area. But, you know, this is when things are very tense, usually people want people going in, spreading their money around, but they're pretty cautious. You know, uh, I find that we have a lot of trust issues between each other and Lebanon, and, you know, that translates into a lot of paranoia, into a lot of confrontation. I think definitely everybody's trying their best, but it is not easy. So there you were, you're in university, and what were you taking in Lebanon? I did psychology. I was pretty excited. I think both my parents wanted me to major in business. And, you know, it's it's not like we have a family business. So I thought (laughs) this was pretty weird. (laughs) Why would I, you know, I'm going to end up in customer service in Lebanon. And I'm not sure that's something I wanted to do. All of my parents, when I was like 15 years old, I was like, 
I either want to study marine biology or I want to do psychology. And I did not change my mind up until I was like 17, submitting my application to university. And I wrote down psychology because that ended up being the major that I explored the most when I had access to the internet for the first time. Mm, okay. So then you put all your eggs in the psychology basket, as it were. Absolutely. As soon as I was able to, yeah, I did not hesitate. <laughs> well, it's clearly paid off, I have to say. So you did all of your all of your research. You ended up coming to Ottawa. Yeah, but what were the other options that you were kind of, you know, what were your second and third choices? You're not going to believe it. I actually applied to a university in Newfoundland. I didn't know it was a fishing island. You know what I mean? I thought it was just another part of Canada. <laughs> Uh, I didn't know how unique it was compared to the rest of the country. Um, mm. And I don't think I would have been ready or even equipped to deal with something this different. But they rejected me anyways. <laughs> they, were like, <laughs> they were like, nope, thank you. <laughs> so I yeah. had applied to University of Ottawa and <clears throat> the University in Manitoba. Now, I graduated from the Lebanese American University. So I had all of my courses done in English. It's accredited. It's, a, it's a known internationally internationally so manitoba the university in manitoba was the only one actually that was like you still need to do like an english test uh to validate your skills and you know not to sound conceited but i had been studying english my entire life mm -hmm. and i presented them with a degree from an american university i wasn't uh, very excited on like being tested again so i refused i said no and i'm gonna apply somewhere else and Ottawa U was one of the first universities that accepted me into the criminology master's program. And a question about the Manitoba University. When you would have had to take this test, would you have had to pay for it? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Yeah. So that's yet another added barrier. Yeah, that, and that I'm already paying for applications. They're $100 yeah. US. That's not huge. No, that isn't. That isn't at all. Okay, so master's in criminology, that's a big accomplishment. How did your schooling go? Did you continue your skateboarding and, and music making? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I had made a decision at a very, very young age that I never want both of these things to get mixed up with money or the economy. So I kept mm -hmm. them at separate and far as possible. The way you would protect, you know, precious diamonds or gold, you store them away somewhere far. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's what I did. But my schooling here in uh, Ottawa, like I started with one year of criminology, I took some senior undergraduate courses and some graduate research courses. You know, they needed me to get a certain score by the end of the year. It was like a qualifying uh, year. And most of my courses were you know, they heavily relied on group projects. So I was with a lot of other students that just wanted to get the program over with when mm -hmm. I was like dependent on a certain grade and I was putting in a lot of effort. It just didn't work. You know what I mean? And I felt it was done in a sloppy way. Like if somebody is reliant on a certain score, it's not fair to put them in a group setting where other people don't share that same intention. It's not like I'm with a bunch of other students doing a qualifying gear. I'm with a mix of undergraduate and graduate students. Uh, they're doing their own thing. You know, they don't need to care about where I'm at or what I'm going through. So mm -hmm. then I had to make a decision to like switch majors. I also felt criminology was very far for somebody that had just made it 
to Canada, you know, and for, I mean, I didn't have any frontline experience. Most of the things that they were talking about was very theoretical and I could understand that, but then the application I had no experience in, right? Especially in a different country. So I switched to victim services, victimology program in Algonquin College, uh, run by Professor Benjamin Rovick, one of the best educators, people I have ever met. It was an absolute honor. He was an amazing educator, provided me with a lot of frontline experience, a lot of research experience. And he was the one that actually got me my first professional international experience with the World Society of Victimology. Um, I was able to be a member of that society for, I think it was maybe a year or two. Mm. And then, you know, I did not go into research, but I did have the opportunity. So I felt very privileged in that sense. But yeah, schooling was very interesting and definitely challenging. But I cannot tell you how grateful I am things turned out the way they did, uh, from criminology to victim services. It mm. got me way more involved in the Ottawa community, you know, more than other newcomers that, you know, would have come here and would have gotten a job, tried to manage everything. I find that I have gotten like more of an intimate knowledge of people here, you know, and that that is very precious for somebody that wasn't born in Canada. I think it's very precious. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And I'm wondering from the perspective of somebody who, like you, has a university degree and a college diploma, how did you feel about making that, that leap from the university world, which is much more theoretical, to yeah. um, the college kind of more hands-on learning and teaching? Well, you know, um, in my bio, I mentioned that I work with a holistic approach strengths-based with clients, I think this is the only way to get it. It has to be a mix of some academia, some practical experience. Otherwise, I would be a researcher or purely a frontline worker. And, you know, I always wanted to have like a well-rounded approach to working with people, especially that I come from an interdisciplinary um, academic background. Like, I didn't do another master's in psychology. I didn't continue to the PhD in psychology. I decided to do, you know, different majors, perhaps within the same kind of bigger field, but still it's an inter interdisciplinary approach. So it has to be well-rounded, I think, to be granted the trust, privilege to working with people that are going through tough circumstances. Yeah, very intentional, very purposeful. Yeah, thank you. I think it's worth a lot of effort, a lot of planning. You know, it definitely has paid off throughout the years. I'm just picturing you young Zane, you know, growing up, you kind of, did you have a pathway that was kind of set out for you? Well, you know, to be honest with you, spending a lot of time uh, skateboarding within like a group and playing music with other people, I found that I definitely, uh, I'm a people-oriented person. I've gained so many skills from learning from different people, playing with them, making music with them. And I think I've just grown like a passion to understanding you know how complex we are we express ourselves in so many different ways and psychology is a great major to kind of look at that in depth and see how you know certain passions or ways of life can contribute to your growth so in that sense i do think there was a past it definitely always had to do with people and you know what an honor because like uh i don't think i necessarily chose that when i was like 14 but i think it was definitely set out in front of me I definitely feel privileged in, in that sense. 
So where do you see yourself? Where can you see yourself in the future with this foundation of psychology and and the victim services and the criminology? Like you've got a, a very full toolkit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Thank you. Well, to be honest with you, it's uh, I think we talked about it briefly uh, when I met you last time, but urban design is hopefully my next goal in terms of the future. I think, you know, having spent nine years doing frontline work in different communities in Ottawa, especially low-income neighborhoods, I've seen where we lack in services and where we neglect certain areas. And then what happens uh, as a result of that neglect, the cost, I think, is way too high. And I think it is the number one obstacle to achieving an integrated, cohesive city. So I'm thinking, you know, with urban design, at least you're able to be part of how cities develop how cities grow, how cities become more connected and are a bit more meaningful and how you're setting them up so that no area ends up being neglected. You know, and when an area gets neglected, you know, the government or the city has to put in more money for social services, outreach groups. I just think there can we can save a lot of trouble, both, you know, for people and financially, if we plan a bit more purposefully. And I know it's not easy. Like especially with a country that relies on immigrants, so you know the the population is always growing, and sometimes you can't respond fast enough. But I think the effort uh, is worth it. Absolutely, it saves you so many years of trouble. That is what I'm hoping to be involved with, especially here in Canada, because uh, that's where I've had most of my frontline experience now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm listening to you. There's two words that I that are kind of coming up in my brain. One is government, like policy analyst, you know, somebody that can help create change or politics. What do you think of those two words? Oh, you know, I am a community worker at heart. I don't think I will ever get involved in politics. I think I would like to spend more time uh, being involved in like grassroots organizations uh, and different initiatives. I've seen results from community work way faster than I have from any kind of policy change. And I think that's what I want to see in the future too. I think all governments want their people at some point to be very independent and be able to self-govern. I don't think it's an easy job for human beings to govern a huge group of people. I don't necessarily think we're meant to do that because we don't do a great job. You know, we have so many countries where we can look at like dense population being mismanaged. That's definitely something I wish for all humans for us to achieve at some point. But right now, politics, I think, is a little too self-centered and it just doesn't reflect where I want to end up and what I'm doing. So government might be a, you know, a great option to go about it because with all the frontline experience, academic uh, knowledge, I think those would be great assets to bring to a government position, you know? Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. But now I have two more words for you. <laughs> Barack Obama. When we're yeah. talking community organizers, man, you can't get better than him. That is very true. That is very true. But you know what? Uh, I think we have, like, the stuff that we see from Barack Obama, I think these are things that are presented to us in a very purposeful way. Um, you know, we never have access to what happens behind the scenes. And it mm-hmm. ends up being the most foundational parts of a leader. You know, I definitely want to think that we have a lot of great leaders. I just think that 
perhaps we haven't created room or the capacity for a leader to achieve, you know, the best version of the, of themselves, especially when we're in an era uh, still bombing other countries or still yeah. planning for attacks or, you know, just uh, being heavily reliant on military, like some of uh, our other neighbors. That yes. part doesn't really excite me. <laughs> I, I can understand completely. So yeah. a couple more questions, because I yeah. love I love psychology and sociology and all of the those oh, kind nice. of things, too. So you and I could talk for hours about this. I know that. <laughs> I, and we will. Um, yeah. And so what motivates you? Now, that's a really nice question. I'll mention two elements or two things that motivate me, one on a very micro level and one on a macro level. Uh, on a macro level, I think... Uh, the planet we live on is all the motivation you can probably hope for or like hope to find you know what are the chances of having a planet like this in the solar system that supports life and like lush life you know what i mean so like mm -hmm. uh, very dense in life i think our ancestors spent a lot of time with different uh lives on this planet you know with animals plants and we've accumulated a lot of knowledge that we're able to bring into science, ethics, philosophy, even a human behavior. You know, we're also mammals. Mm -hmm. I think uh, the planet gives me a lot of motivation. I try to have a holistic approach to work, similar to how I see nature operating. Uh, it's never one thing exclusively. It's always like the synergy of different elements working together. I remember seeing one video of like uh, lava clashing with water and then making land. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That uh, really got to me. <laughs> There's so much that you can take from this planet and from nature that you know can be applied in a very intimate way in how we live our lives. And that's why I think you know I'm a very people-oriented person. This is something that you know core to living. Uh, people are people have like drastically changed this planet. And, you know, we now know that we have the ability to influence it in a bad or a good way. So I think that that makes people feel a bit bigger than we are, because, you know, on the larger scale of things, we're so small. But having an influence on our planet, I think, can be maybe the next step of our evolution, understanding that we have like a symbiotic relationship and we can influence something huge if we are more purposeful and conscious of our actions on a micro level. I'll say the thing that motivates me is love. I've seen, you know, love being um, transferred into work and some of the best organizations, best leadership that I've seen uh, lead with love. Love looks all kinds of ways. You know, mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be something very specific, but I think it makes uh, living a lot more enjoyable. That definitely motivates me. I try to find love in nature and people and my partner and family, friends. And, you know, I'm 30 years old now. I can say that has been one of the biggest things that uh, have kept me going through tough times, uh, knowing that I can find love in different avenues in life. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. has been like a great motivation. So in that same world, what do you think your top three values in life are? Oh, that is that's super easy. Uh, love, honesty. Innovation. Innovation as in, you know, having a creative way to doing things, trying to think how you can improve 
yeah, just being creative with the data or information or knowledge that you have. That's absolutely one of my top three values. Love, honesty, and innovation. Yeah. All right. I got the love. I got the honesty. The innovation, you threw me off. I can understand it for sure. And I think that that speaks too of your desire to become an urban planner. Oh, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, working in social services and with people and then moving to a space where we can influence the space that people live in, that's so valuable. You have you have an understanding of certain vulnerabilities that can develop if we don't create a cohesive city. We can, you know, save a lot of trouble, save a lot of money too. I think innovation can get us a long way uh, into the future. I like it. I like it. And what's next for you? Uh, well, right now, I definitely am trying to uh, learn a bit more about urban design on the side, on my own. Mm-hmm. I'm considering uh, finishing Mathis and Criminology. I'm thinking about it because I also am planning to end up in the Red Cross, you know, at the mutual organization. And uh, I know, like, I've seen, uh, I know that people know that the Red Cross looks different in the Middle East. Like, they have uh, the moon and the star, and then in other areas, it's the cross. But it's the same organization. I think if an an organization has the ability to be this fluid, you know, Mm -hmm. you can uh, operate anywhere then you're not under you know critical eyes that you you're not one of us or you don't believe in the thing that we do um instead they have people from all kinds of faiths and backgrounds working in different countries that's absolutely i think it's my short-term goal and you know while i'm doing that i think i would like to develop my knowledge in urban design maybe seek out a part-time degree you know i definitely want to stay student for as long as i possibly can so i'll always throughout my life i'll think about different majors uh, mm-hmm. i'm always very willing to go back to school to sit down in a class uh, do some research read you never lose anything doing these uh like doing anything educational so mm-hmm. i don't have any hesitation in that sense but i definitely i'm trying to plan a bit better so i don't you know i'm not sitting on a bank <laughs> tuition um, money is real <laughs> yes for sure, for sure. <laughs> yeah, but I know that it, I, I, somebody who puts so much work and effort into creating that big, huge Google document about all of the different universities <laughs> and all of that stuff. I know you don't do things lightly. You do things with intention, with purpose, and strategically, quite honestly. Thank you. I, I think uh, our time here on this planet is also very precious. And I think that should be something that moves us to always be conscious and purposeful in our actions. There's no reason to be on autopilot mode. You know, we're not we're not immortal. You do have a certain amount of time on this planet. It does not make sense to me when we operate on autopilot mode. I think that's when like the media we consume, the food we eat might be mm-hmm. playing a role. You know, we like to self-indulge, but if the result is gonna be autopilot mode, I don't know, that's terrifying. <laughs> Well, you're right. You're yeah, absolutely. And along the, those lines, my my last question to you, and I'm completely intrigued by what your answer will be. Do you have a favorite quote or words that you live by? Uh, I love uh, that question, and I'll I'll tell you. I think uh, the quote that we remember 
we remember them for very specific reasons. They resonate mm -hmm. with us. Um, and, you know, I understand a lot of us know some pretty common quotes, and these are not the ones that uh, we talk about. So the quote that resonated with me was Carl Jung's quote, no tree, it is said, can go to heaven unless its roots reach down to hell. What a beautiful way to describe, you know, the need to balance different parts of life and to have an understanding of things that are uncomfortable, things that are ugly, perhaps, but also to understand that there is so much more to life, too. Uh, on the other side, there's also a lot of love, compassion, empathy, sympathy, honesty, teamwork, coexistence. So I think that quote definitely has helped me, you know, not accept, but understand uh, the different parts of life that can be, that can seem vicious, that can come off as ugly. Maybe sometimes we don't have any answers or explanations, but uh, I think that quote has definitely resonated with me for that reason. I can understand that. And here, here's what I need to tell you. I need to tell you, every time I get the pleasure and honor of spending time with you, it feels safe, it feels secure, it feels nourishing, inspiring, and incredibly motivating. So that's very you. humbling. That is very, very, very humbling, Tanya. I really appreciate everything you said. Uh, means the world to me. And, you know, it is so easy to talk to you. Uh, you know, these are not things that I am always very public about. I have no social media presence. I do not talk about these things because I think they're very precious, which is why I am more than happy and honored to share them with you. You know, it's been, it's been awesome. I really appreciate it, Tanya. Thank you. Well, thank you. I mean, I'm just, I'm smiling, you know, from ear to ear, and I'm just so <laughs> blessed to to have you in my world, to have you as my friend, and to, and have to know that you are in this world. You've reached in and you've just spoken straight to my heart. Beautiful. And so, Zane, from my heart to yours, Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Thank you, Tanya. What an honor to know you. What a privilege to talk to you. It is absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much for a beautiful conversation. Absolutely made my entire day. I don't think anything can mess it up at this point. <laughs> Super. Thank you so much and take care and have a, a very happy rest of your day and enjoy all your moments. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Tanya. Enjoy the beautiful weekend and happy Canada Day in advance. <laughs> And a happy Canada Day of Reflection. That's my thing, right? Happy Canada Day of Reflection. We can't change how our country started, but we can no. change where we're going and how the Indigenous people are treated Absolutely. And, and respected, right? Absolutely. And we're a young country. We can yes. absolutely accomplish that. And I think more generations are starting to realize the importance of a cohesive society where we all exist as who we are. What happened in the past, we have little control over, but absolutely, like you said, we have all the control over the future. That is very inspiring for all of us, I hope, you know, and I think we're going to be seeing a very, very different Canada in the next few years. Something, while we're great at coexisting, I think we're going to take this to the next level. I think so too. Elevate, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Take good care. Sending you a big hug. Big hugs. Thank you, Tanya. See you soon. Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. A big thank you to Zane for sharing his story with us. I think you can probably feel for yourself just how amazing Zane is and why I wanted to chat with him on the playground. 
I love being able to play back the recording during the editing process because I get to listen to the whole interviews again and getting to hear his story, his passion, and his commitment was just wonderful. We learned of his journey from Lebanon to Ottawa and what it was like for him to land in Montreal in the middle of the night and feel like it was just going to be like going through those checkpoints back in, in Lebanon before he left. He also shared with us the realities and challenges that newcomers to Canada can face. Challenges like having to pay for an English assessment when you have been taught in English your entire life. We learned of the importance of love, not just romantic, but the love Zane has for the planet, for the world, and for people. Zane is one of the nicest, most thoughtful, compassionate, loving, and authentic people I've ever met. I think you could feel that and experience that during this interview that we had together. I absolutely love spending time with him. I love learning from him. And I am so excited to see where he's going to go and where how he's going to continue. Because I know he is going to continue. But how he's going to continue making an impact on so many people's lives. I'm just so thrilled and so grateful that he was able to spend this time with us on the playground. And speaking of spending time with us on the playground, get ready for next week's mystery guest. I can assure you it's going to be another fantastic career chat. Until then, until we meet again, I invite you to follow me on Instagram at PuddleJumpCoaching001. And until next week, have a wonderful week. Take good care of yourself, of each other, of animals, of the planet. Spread love, feel love, be love. And until next week, when we jump into the future together. Mm-hmm.